Hello, friends. Uh, welcome back to this uh, podcast and uh, welcome, Jayanth. Uh, hope you had a good weekend. And uh, Hi, Leslie. Yeah, are... what, a week. what a weekend. <laughs> yeah, we're going to speak more about it. And uh, we have a special right. guest with us today. Uh, so let me just uh, introduce a guest to the speakers. Uh, so uh, uh, listeners, we have with us uh, Devjani Ghosh, who for the last four years, has been heading NASCOM as its president. NASCOM, as all of us know, is an industry body that has got uh, uh, IT services on the global map. Uh, but uh, Devjani has many firsts to her credit. Uh, she was the first woman to head uh, India's IT industry body, uh, which has been actively working uh, with uh, companies to enable digital transformation in the country. Uh, and she is now at the forefront of pushing uh, AI and generative AI initiatives. Uh, she was early also the first woman to lead uh, Intel India and uh, the MATE uh, Manufacturers Association for Information Technology. In January 2018, she was felicitated by the President of India under the auspices of the First Ladies Program, which honors exceptional women pioneers in their respective fields. Devjani, welcome. Uh, Privileged to have you on this uh, chat. And welcome, we hope... Devjani. Thank you. And I'm, I'm really now curious. I want to hear about your weekend, Jayant. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I was actually at an event. I was moderating. A, I was having a fireside chat with Chris Gopalakrishnan. Oh. Okay. It was it was Bangalore Biz Lit, uh, Literature Festival. And we were talking about his book, uh, The History of IT in History India. Of, yeah. And 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 our book, uh, you know, AI Rising, India's Artificial Intelligence Growth Story. And we were talking about the next era of IT and uh, uh, tech in India. So I'm sure um, you'll, you'll be able to any, add a lot any more. Any conversation with Chris is um, tremendously profound. Yes. <laughs> it's sort of leave you with so much to think about. <laughs> yes, we covered from everything, from I, the history of IT to... Uh, the future, including, uh, you know, human consciousness and quantum physics and quantum computing and everything in oh, between. So. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, and he's doing a lot of work in the area of uh, brain computing and uh, HCI and uh, neuroscience. Correct. Science. I, I think Pretty he's interesting doing, stuff. When, it talk, when you talk about deep tech, I mean, the first name that comes to my mind, at least in India, is Chris. The kind of work he is doing to nurture the deep tech ecosystem, right. though, to to really drive real deep tech innovation. You know, very few people, very very few organizations in India that are actually in the that are actually focused on real deep tech. Um, and I think Chris is one of those. I mean, he, he's the uh, one of the key guys when it comes to fostering deep tech innovation in India. We'll come right. to deep tech so, in a bit. Yeah, I mean, good weekend, profound conversations. Yeah, but I think it's a very good start, you know, for the conversation, setting the tone <laughs> directly for this. And uh, uh, India today is obviously on the AI and now the generative AI map, uh, the global map, if I were to say that. And a lot is happening. I mean, the two deals with uh, RL and the Tata group with NVIDIA itself has set the tone for, you know, uh, taking the extra leap. And NASCOM has been doing tremendous amount of work in this space. Um, can you just give us a, you know, a sort of a quick o- overview of your take on where uh, India is as far as both the AI and now the generative AI kind of tsunami that's uh, hitting us? Um, so first, Leslie, I will not agree that India is already on the map. I think we're just getting there. It's the first few steps, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you when you think about when you think about AI and you think about the AI value chain, right? Um, there are four in I mean I'm simplifying it tremendously, but in my mind there are four pit stops, right? At the highest end of the value chain are the players who are controlling the cloud and the computing access for AI, which it today is, I mean, for AI, you need three things. You need very high quality data. You need tremendous computing. You need talent. And yeah, I guess the fourth thing is you really need to make some big investments, right? I mean, if these four things come together, you are set, right? So at the highest end of the value chain are the players who have uh, the cloud, who are the providers, cloud providers, as well as computing providers, right? 
Then comes the guys, the companies that are building and providing the so-called foundation models, especially the large language models, which are driving a lot of the applications, right? Your opening eyes and everyone. Um, then the third pit stop is what we call private LLMs, which is where companies will build uh, vertical models for specific, like, like, you know, media companies like Bloomberg, et cetera, yeah. will have their GPT or banks will have their GPT. These are vertical models, uh, which are built on top of uh, either somebody else's or your own horizontal foundation model. And then the last leg of it is the companies that are building applications, right? Chat GPT is an application uh, using GPT, Correct. which is OpenAI's foundation model, right? If you look at where India is today, uh, most of our startups are at the application layer, where they are building wrappers or applications for video to text and all of that, uh, conversational AI, et cetera. And they are leveraging the foundational models, et cetera, that is being built by, by other companies. Now, if you look at who controls the AI value chain, there are five or six companies that are playing from top to bottom. They have cloud, they have computing, they have foundation models, they're building the vertical models and applications. And all these companies are today US, American companies, they're US-based companies, right? And, and if generative AI itself is like a 183 billion potential by 2030 or 2031, bulk of this is going to the folks who will control the entire value chain, right? Right. As NASCOM, our goal and focus is just one thing. How do you move India up the value chain? Right. How do you ensure we can move as much as possible up the value chain? And not just it's not just about the revenue, but moving up the value chain also gives you higher influence on how uh, some of these roadmaps are getting shaped, right? So computing was the starting point that we had to get computing in India. So Jensen coming down, meeting with the prime minister, and then within a week getting the Reliance and the Tata deals and Infosys, uh, was just a dream come true. I think this, most people don't realize how historic last week was. You yeah, know, this is what exactly. will propel India's movement up the value chain. Data we have, but tremendously fragmented and low quality. So we have tremendous amount of work to be done to ensure we provide high quality data. Talent we have, we have to continue to build investments we are nowhere near what the world is investing in ai and uh, this is where again we have to think through so that's sort of the the playbook and what we are trying to do you mentioned one of the four pillars to be talent uh, yeah. three weeks back i was in geneva and i was uh, you know speaking to some of the folks uh, from un and we were looking at doing something at the intersection of mental health and ai and yeah. then you know we were also speaking to some folks in uh, boston and the silicon valley one thing that came across, and this I'm hearing from the Europeans and Americans, is that uh, both in Europe and uh, in the States, um, any data scientist or an AI engineer, anyone working in the AI space, if uh, the name is Indian, the resume is going on top of the pile, right? And this I'm hearing from the Western world, from the developed world. I mean, they're acknowledging it, okay? Uh, over the weekend, the, uh, the conversation that I had uh, was also that the Indian IT uh, you know, sector uh, employs over 5 million people. And, and Chris is a huge advocate of the, the talent that we have in the Indian uh, uh, IT and the tech sector. Uh, specific to AI, how do you think India ranks in terms of uh, talent? I mean, I'm hearing globally that that we are the guys to watch out for and, and we are preferred. Uh, what's your uh, take on India's talent pool? It's a very interesting uh, data point, right? I'm sure you've heard of the Tortoise AI Index. They come out with it globally. It's, uh, it's one of the most comprehensive Correct. AI Correct. indexes that look, that really measure countries, they call it the race to AI control. So they measure countries on where you are on the race to AI control and why. It's a, it's a, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in love with that right. because it allows you to play with so much data. So there are four things they broadly look at. They look at um, R&D, they look at investments, they look at infrastructure like compute infrastructure, data availability, et cetera. And they look at talent. 
right? Now, when you look at India uh, on R&D, on um, infrastructure and on investments, we are very, very low uh, in that list, okay. right? So uh, when I was looking, the, the, they had recently come out with the 2023 ranking and I was shocked mm -hmm. to find, I was literally shocked to find India break in within the top 15, and I was like, what changed? How did this happen? Right. So we, we sort of broke into the top 15. And right. when you look at the data, it is because of talent. Because on talent, for the last two years, India has been in the second position. Right. right? And that is, I think, our biggest competitive advantage. When you talk about AI, our biggest competitive advantage is talent. But right. um, again, there's no time for being complacent, right? Um, I mean, the, the skill requirements are changing so fast. Um, I think we have to, one, we have to continue to reskill. And two, I think given our young population, we actually, um, you know, there's a very unique opportunity ahead of us. And I, I, I sort of call this generation AI, because when you look at India, you say young, young demographics, right? What if the young demographics, that entire young demographics, not just the 5 million IT work uh, employees, but that entire young population could be turned into uh, AI users? For example, right. you know, if you think of a pyramid approach, uh, skill, I call it my, the skills pyramid. You know, on top, you need a, the world needs a million world-class AI professionals, your data scientists, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. No reason why we can't provide that. Absolutely no reason, right? Then it gets interesting. Then you think of the second layer. India roughly has around 18 million or 15 or 18 million white, white collar workers, if I'm not wrong. Correct. What if we took that entire layer and we transform them into AI or, you know, those, if you say with regenerative AI, you get that 30x productivity boost. What if each one of them was skilled to provide that 30x productivity boost in whatever it is they were doing? I mean, imagine what the difference it can make. And then you have this entire bottom layer of, you know, what we call digitally literate citizens. What if you converted mm -hmm. that entire layer into AI literate citizens so people can, you know, people won't hesitate to use a GPT, whatever it is, Kisan GPT, tax GPT, whatever. Right. Um, and at the same time, know how to use it responsibly. So I think India has tremendous opportunity to really be the AI talent hub, not just for development and coding, but to provide the productivity boost, which is the biggest promise of AI and generative AI. But Devjani, over here, like, I mean, this is the dilemma that I think a lot of young, uh, youngsters are facing. I mean, because when I have these chats with uh, young people, I realize that is that whenever we talk about reskilling, they ask, what do I reskill for? Because AI is also automating a lot of code. AI is writing AI code. There's yeah. so much. And, and we really do not know, you know, like, for instance, I was giving an example of prompt engineering. Now, everybody said that prompt engineering is going to be a six-figure uh, 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 salary job. So everybody got jumped onto the bandwagon. And now suddenly you already have uh, automatic, uh, you have automatic prompt engineers. Now that's going to be a... Uh, a pretty tough uh, kind of proposition. It is. And, and Leslie, unfortunately, I don't think anyone knows the answers to what is that magic mantra for reskilling. The thing that I talk about is one, you have to first know the foundation. I think why has India done so well? It's because of our education system and because of the strong foundation in maths math, science that it builds. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we are doing so well globally. Let's not forget that. Um, and I think investing in foundation, if the only thing I would add for the AI era is statistics, I think it's tremendously, it's it's a key component of AI and India is not very strong and when it comes to statistics, so that's one area we have to uh, invest in. And then beyond that, it's about investing in learnability 
it's about investing in how to learn quickly how to unlearn quickly how to communicate well how to yeah. uh, you know these earlier all the soft skills used to call yes. them soft skills but jand i honestly skills. don't think we do, we do you know we are doing a major disservice by calling them soft skills i think I right now they are absolutely the core professional skills needed for employment i totally agree i right? totally agree and our yeah. engineers have to learn how to speak and how to speak well how to be great you know the the one of the um, i was speaking to someone um, uh, uh, who's a Uh, data science a very well known data scientist in us and he was telling me that today when i hire the most important skill in data scientists i look for are story is storytelling storytelling yes so it's it's sort of you know there's a major disruption happening but i think important to build the foundation important to build uh, not just foundation in math science i would say statistics i would add that important to uh, build your your foundation of artificial intelligence it is important to learn how to code still because we are not giving away coding to the machines machines are helping us becoming more effective coders um, you know it's it's adding a 30% boost to 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 coding and, and uh, uh, github yeah github has done this amazing study you guys should look at it when you can but you know this it, they basically looked at and they said that there's roughly around 45 million coders in 2030 or there will be 45 million coders with a 30% boost you're going to get an additional 50 million 15 million effective coders you know what does that 30% boost result in and that is can be estimated to deliver around a 1.5 uh, 1.5 trillion boost to gdp so GDP. it's just amazing how it plays out but i think uh, i don't think the human angle will go away in coding i think but yeah yeah machine assisted uh, coding so no i think it's a very valid point dipjani because i don't think coding is going anywhere for the simple reason there is a lot of hallucination that is happening and in, and when code ai is writing ai for instance you are going to get into a lot of uh, copyright problems trade drug um, trademark yeah. problems uh, you know yeah. plagiarizing of the copy, uh, of the codes and all that so you will have to have the humans in the loop Uh, which is uh, will have to know how to use the tools know how to use it yeah, absolutely that is important absolutely. you know if, 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 if there are like 10 to 15 productivity tools today that every graduate should absolutely master right and uh, that's what's going to become important yeah i mean i think that's a very valid point uh, but let me just uh, come back to what we started with you know on the computing part of it we are talking about the computing power uh, we are talking about the rl and uh, tata group deals now the interesting part is a lot of uh, nvidia is going to bring in a lot of gpu kind of stuff and you're going to have the entire computing uh, uh, force behind uh, thing and they have also spoken about uh, creating these uh, llms uh, in india now i thought that was a pretty interesting thing because we have indian uh, institute of science already working on indian languages which is a very important part of it i remember during the mint uh, digital innovation summit that we had on june time uh, i wish you were there and uh, you couldn't make it so rajiv chandrashekar was uh, there as a special guest uh, and uh, when i was having a chat with him i had specifically asked him about the india gpt because there was a lot of uh, talk around it after uh, ashwini vaishno Vesh- spoke about it now uh, rajiv made a very interesting comment saying that i am going to give uh, uh, full access the government is going to give full access uh, to all the indian uh, researchers academics and indian companies to curated uh, data sets that are yep. there and yep. they have to create the llms yep. around it government is not going to be involved in that and then the nvidia deal talks uh, about you know creating these llms with rl i would love your thoughts on you know uh, the local language part of it because i think uh, nascom is also uh, stressing a lot on the local and I, i think that's a very uh, integral part of you know having it in your own language not only bashni i think it's uh, indian institute of science is working with it and there are uh, another nilekani project ai for bharat is working on it and many other such projects but um, devjan your thoughts please see if 
foundation models and LLMs are a type of foundational models that use text, right? Yeah, they're the language so part I, of it. Yeah, so but but foundation models because they do so much more than just text. If foundation models are going to drive how AI gets used and what it gets used for, I think India does not have an option but to participate in 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 shaping uh, you know the roadmap for foundation models. Otherwise. Uh, you know, we, we this this has a bigger risk than what it's not just about competition or it's not just about boasting power as to who has the LLMs. What we risk if we don't, we risk losing our culture, we risk losing our languages. If tomorrow's future is about foundation models pretty much driving everything from healthcare to education to whatever have you, and we are not building the Indian context into it. Uh, there's a huge risk, you know, and 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 the risks today are more about company countries thinking through this. Why are why is sovereignty such an important debate? And Jensen talked about it when he was here. But why is sovereign AI such an important discussion and debate to have? It's not just about uh, the 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 revenue and the value, right? But it is also about ensuring that as a country you are protecting and preserving and growing your cultural heritage, your languages, your, you know, beliefs and your value systems by building foundation models that will uh, have that context built into it. So I don't think it should be a debate whether we build or not. I completely agree with uh, Minister Chandrasekhar that Government's job is to provide the data sets uh, because they have tremendously good data sets. Government's job is to provide the data sets. Correct. Industry, academia needs to build the models. Um, and which is what I, I feel very encouraged because both Reliance and Tata are talking about it, right? So, and, and that's the right way right. to do it. They need to build the models, but you don't need a lot of models, you know, because models are also perishable. And models take a lot of investment. Let's not forget that. In order to be effective, yeah. a model has yeah. billions and billions of parameters and data. Chat GPT was GPT 3.5 was trained on 500,000 mm. trillion words. Yeah. Right. So it's just crazy how much of data yeah. and you know goes in and how many parameters are going into it, which costs a lot of money. And the risk is if if Leslie, you are building an LLM, I'm building one, Jan's building one, you build yours first, but I figure out a way to do better with respect to higher parameters and data. My LLM is very soon gonna become the key one and yours is gonna perish, right? So LLMs are very perishable items and that, that's something we have to factor in. So I think we have to be strategic here and we need to figure out how do we get one or two um, horizontal models that that sort of takes in all our languages, culture, etc. And then I think the right investment is smaller vertical models, like the DPI approach, like each DPI solves yes. one problem, right? So how do we build a model for diabetes? How do you build a model for tuberculosis or TB? Or how do you build a model, you know, the there's so many different problems to solve, right? For education, et cetera. So I think we will, we have to see the strategy evolve. Uh, we should not have too many companies building horizontal models. Uh, it's not a yeah. effective business model. Uh, we should have one or two horizontal models that we can all leverage. And then the value is building those vertical models on top of it to really drive um, the business proposition of value. No, no, I'm saying uh, because it's an expensive proposition anyway. So I don't Maybe. think any, uh, it, it, so it's, it's, it's basically, I think the two, three conglomerates that will get into it. Yeah. The others may not even be able to afford it because I think each GP, I was looking at the pricing. It's not about yeah. competitive advantage. You shouldn't. As long as somebody builds it out and, and allows everyone to participate, Companies then should focus on building their vertical models, which will which will drive their business. And also LLMs, building LLMs is also an extremely competitive space, right? I mean, only in the one week, the last week of August and the first week of September, two weeks back, uh, in the open source space, 4,000 LLMs have been released out in 
the open but right now you know i mean the, the the one that completely blew my mind was falcon coming out with a exactly. 180 billion 180 billion billion parameters water. 180 billion i mean how insane true. can things get <laughs> true it's, true it's, it's, that's bigger than gpt3 actually it's way bigger, yeah, yeah. Right? so this no, is no, it's, it's no, 175 180 billion yeah yeah but it's yeah. good it's great fun it's great fun but i but i honestly think yeah, you know long term <laughs> we have to invest in research to figure out how to get that higher level of accuracy uh, without mm. uh building out so many parameters and without using so much data because the other problem is all these companies that are building these crazy monster llms are completely uh disrupting or you know going back on their uh, sustainability goals because of the amount of energy and water etc that is required uh to train these models mm. so there is a price to pay it's not just the cost yeah. but there is a price to pay if we want to achieve our net zero goals uh this is not helping us so i think hmm. what the world really now needs and the industry really now needs and it's a, the good thing is it's an engineering problem so when it's an engineering problem you know usually you can find a way yeah. to to solve it i think we have to figure out the key thing we have to figure out is more energy efficient llms i think that's the key requirement even if it means we have to compromise a bit more on accuracy um and and you know maybe that will mean that the human aspect cannot go away um the humans have to be right. there to ensure that hybrid models it's, it's it's accurate yeah yeah so this is what needs to be thought through yeah. no but i i'm glad you brought up in that, fact in that uh, that issue of uh, falcon uh, 180v because uh, a lot of open source uh, uh, llms have come up before uh, yeah. llama 2 being one of them so and yeah. these are fewer parameters like llama 2 has anything anywhere between 7 billion parameters to 70 billion parameters yeah. i think the yeah. sweet spot is around 15 billion uh, parameters okay. where you can create these kind of vertical llms so there is a lot of stuff happening in that space and i think that even that point of making them sustainable making them you know the trying to Which are net zero goals are equally important. In fact, uh, the interesting part is even yesterday I was listening to Apple's uh, conference live. So they have created this uh, A A seventeen uh, Pro uh, GPU chip, but most. they were i think they dedicated about almost 15 minutes or 15 more than that in fact on sustainability and uh, so that was uh, I think everybody today is. Uh, all the really? tech companies are worried if you saw microsoft's report and quite a few others you know their water consumption has gone up significantly because of the investments in llm etc so every tech company today is worried about it and i think this is if you if you if you really want to throw big research dollars this is what we have to figure out is what is the way forward how do you build a more energy efficient llms that's that's the key challenge that faces us In fact, in the first episode of our podcast, we did talk about uh, generative AI's impact on uh, uh, you know climate change. Uh, uh, and and just yesterday, I was reading an article. Uh, I can't pronounce the name very right. Uh, this uh, this region in China, uh, you know, Nianjing, uh, which is actually becoming the compute power, uh, you know, hub. for all the uh, companies to put their data centers which are you know uh, which are uh, working in cutting edge ai research only uh, now compute power hubs are coming up in in mountainous regions which can provide natural cooling so yeah. you know india with himalayas and and all the north indian uh, you know are not scape we should actually look at that as a you know geostrategic advantage uh, speaking about china the interesting part is china has about 72 llms yeah they do they they've been yeah. they they've been at it for a while because uh, you know ever since i think google came out with the transformer yeah. rather the attention paper yeah. i think china has been at it for they they saw this opportunity quite yeah. quite early and they have been building and it'll be interesting to see with the us um um you know saying that nvidia has to sell uh chips that are i think uh, yes 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 20 or 30% like imp- that um, import restrictions uh, yeah. yeah 
So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It might just force them to uh, accelerate their, uh, their, their, their plan to to start building chips themselves, GPUs themselves. Uh, I think they may have to. Edit. No, it's a it's a very valid point because uh, TSMC also has opened up another center in Arizona now. Uh, to cater to Apple chips and Nvidia and all that, so that's yeah, an interesting yeah. thing. You know, yeah, these. Yeah. If, I, I mean, when we talk about AI, uh, these imports and especially US deciding who sells to who, etc., is going to be a very important thing to watch because uh, this will also determine who plays where in the value chain. Yeah, talking about value chain, Dejani, you talked about uh, you know India investing in building LLMs, you know, uh, to to infuse our values and principles and the Indianness, okay? And you also talked about investing in research. Uh, on the complete other end of the value chain are the AI apps, okay? Now, my question is, are we entering uh, that era where, you know, 20 years ago when internet was just coming out of the woods and hit the inflection point, building apps, you know, websites on the internet was a big thing. 10 years ago, it was the mobile apps, right? I mean, all the uh, tech startups and the VC dollars and the investments went into, you know, building mobile apps. Fast forward 10 years in the 2020s over the next few years, are we seeing, uh, you know, that kind of growth in building AI apps? You know, is building AI apps going to be the next uh, uh, next big industry? Um, see, there's tremendous potential in building generative AI apps, but you have right. to build apps that are sticky, apps that, that mm. uh, will provide higher value Currently, my worry is we are literally building wrappers. Most of our startups, there are roughly around right. 70 to 80 startups that are working in this space. And most of them are building wrappers. Wrappers don't have stickiness. Uh, somebody else will come out with a better True. wrapper and you're gone, right? And why are they doing it? It's not because of capabilities. And I, mean, I personally know a lot of these founders who are playing in the generative AI space. They're brilliant guys and girls. They, they really are very good. But why are they doing it? Because nobody is willing to invest in them. Uh, in just, just FYI, right. early stage uh, generative AI startup in India gets around 15 million funding. And by the way, out of the 70, hardly 10 have received funding, okay? But in US, mm. an early stage, same same level, generative AI startup will get her anything between 50 to 70 million, right? So there's a right. huge gap. Now, what can you do in 15 million? Given that we today we don't have computing in-house, uh, one, you're going to spend most True. of that trying to get computing, and that's going to give you very little, frankly. Uh, there's no way, forget about building LLM, there's no way you can even build those vertical models that is needed to, to, to give you that stickiness and higher value add on, on top of which you build your application levels, right? So, so yes, we will definitely see a lot of companies coming in and building applications because capabilities are there, problems are there to be solved. But for sustainable growth, I think we really have to look at our deep tech investment strategy in India. Uh, mm. it, is, it is, I'm trying to figure out how to be politically correct and say the right word, but well, it is disappointing to say the least. It is really, really, really disappointing, you know. Um, and, and as a nation, we have to figure right. that out because if we do not invest in deep tech, um, it, it, it's a it's a tremendous concern and this is the one thing that keeps me awake i mean this is just a tremendous worry i could sense the angst i mean and anybody can sense the angst that you have come up with because of uh, this thing uh, and, and, and and you know we have fantastic ideas and yeah, they but this not is... get the money in india they will get the no, money but... if they go to us Correct. But that is what I'm asking. So that is what I was coming to. So is it that the hesitancy from the point of view of, uh, you know, angel investors, not so much angels, but more the VCs uh, to invest in deep tech is because they are not clear about where the uh, entire industry is moving because it's accelerating at such a rapid pace. Like today you have an LLM, tomorrow you have something else. 
uh, you know, so the you you just have to look at the Gartner uh, uh, hype cycle and you realize the amount of uh, changes that have taken place over a period of time. So is it the reason that you know uh, probably they're not confident about the India landscape that India can pull it off? I don't think it's about India. I think it's just about uh, see deep tech investment needs patient capital. You can't invest one time and go yes. away. Uh, deep tech startups have a completely different life cycle uh, compared to uh, even a tech startup, right? Uh, you need the big investments up front, and then you need continuous investment till and and you know you have to do many iterations of product market fit before you finally crack it, right? Uh, patient capital itself in India is a is a problem. It's it's we don't believe in patient capital. We 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 want to invest and we want to get our returns. We want to get our returns very quickly, right? And uh, it is slowly changing. People like Chris Gopalakrishnan are changing it. Uh, yeah. Some of the we, some of the accelerators like IIT Madras, what Professor Junjunwala is doing. Um, it, it's, there are there are a few people. There are very few, but there are a few good people, few good accelerators. But they are changing it. But collectively, it's still very few, uh, and therefore the total amount that's going into deep tech is still very low, right? Um, I mean, I and you have so many of these. Um, what are they called? These these things, these challenges and whatever they are, you know, the hackathons where you're giving like 10 lakhs, 20 lakhs, and you are saying AI startup, shuru kar do. <laughs> I think we need to really sit down all these people and help them understand that it doesn't work that way. You know, I'm it's, glad, it's, I'm glad you know, you're blunt about these things. Oh God. Yeah. Get me and uh, in fact, one of the, yeah, no, one one of the issues with the tech startup funding and the fund outflow is also that about five years back, I think it was Chamak Pahalipitya in one of his talks at Stanford, he estimated that out of every uh, one VC dollar that's invested in a consumer internet company, 45 cents go back to Google and Facebook in terms of ads, right? I mean, you know, these consumer internet companies. Okay. And yeah, and this was even before cloud. And yeah. for the last three years, since COVID years, me and Leslie have been talking. Then you 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 know the uh, founders have to factor in cloud costs, and now the compute uh, you know costs if it's a deep tech AI company, yeah. right? Then I mean our estimate is you know it, for every one VC dollar that's invested, almost seventy five to eighty cents is going back to the big tech companies in terms between you know advertising dollars, uh, you know cloud and computing. Even if the VC money comes in, the entrepreneurs, if they don't, you know, budget and factor in their uh, costs properly, they're left with 15, 20% of the money raised to actually build out what they what they want to do and how they want to do it. Okay, so and, and some because, somewhere this equation also needs to change. So Giant, I don't think that equation will change much because I talked about the value chain. Now, those who were early movers, only who were right. invested in infrastructure, they are going to benefit from it. And you know, that's how it works. They they were the first movers. They invested in building out the infrastructure, right? And and um, it, it's it's how it will work, right? It, it, that's, it's, it's how the business model will shape up. But, and, and computing costs, I think, will continue to go up, frankly, um, at least right. in the near term. They're not going to come down, especially with the shortage, with the GPU yeah. shortage that is already... Oh, yes. Uh, that is already on us. Everybody's facing it. Uh, GPU costs are going to go up and it's going to be difficult to get GPU. So I think those challenges will stay, right? And therefore, right. having a 15 million check leaves you with peanuts to go and get the talent exactly. that you need, to go and do the research that you need and, True. you know, all of that. This is why the average ticket size for our AI startups has to go up. Because you can't fix the other problem. You can't fix the business model. Yeah. You have to yeah. factor in the business model. And this is why startups need a bigger ticket size. So after they have factored in their computing costs and their cloud costs, etc., they still have decent amount of money left to go and get good talent to invest in whatever research they need to do to invest in the development, right? Which is what our startups are struggling to do today. Yeah, that's why I think in this particular context, 
I find it very interesting that, you know, companies like NVIDIA and all, they, they have their own accelerator, they help with all the yeah. technology. Yeah, and all. I think that, job, yeah, the they have that inception yeah. program of theirs. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. And I was looking at some of the startups that are doing work in AI in India itself. I was surprised. I mean, because they require that kind of computing power and they won't get it unless they do it. In fact, actually drawing a parallel between what's happening in the AI space is the quantum computing space where IBM is using the Kiskit program, for instance. Now that I think is a good model to probably, you know, replicate in India. Because, you know, uh, the question that I, again, uh, obviously I know I was surprised at the kind of, uh, you know, plain speaking that you have been doing and it, it gladdens my heart. I mean, uh, from an industry body point of view, I mean, it's it's important that we have some plain speaking out here. So I'm going to add, uh, ask you this question, which I earlier thought I wouldn't, but uh, it's like India now, for instance, has been making the semi, uh, has been trying to make semiconductors for the last two decades. We all have been part of that entire process. So we know it. Um, there's a clear intent this time around, it looks like. But except that, uh, again, I feel that, again, it's going to get into the 30, 40 nanometer space, uh, What according to what Mr. Minister Chandrasekhar said. Not going to really help in, in as far as the GPUs are concerned. It's not even going to remotely touch those spaces. Uh, what's your perspective on how that's going to play out? Because we have got an amazing uh, semiconductor design ecosystem, which we have been talking about the ADSM space. Right. Uh, but how does it work out for, you know, uh, I mean, for the play for the entire AI ecosystem? See, the, the, sem the semiconductor mission and what they are trying to do has its own market. Right. It's, it's, it's its own market and they'll cater Correct. to the market. I don't think the semiconductor mission, the way, at least I could be wrong, but the way it was, the intent at that point wasn't to get into compute, GPU computing, etc. Which yeah. is no, it wasn't. And I'm not sure it's the right bet right now, for in, even from an India perspective. I mean, the right bet is what's happening, which is the big industry signing up with the companies like NVIDIA and whoever comes up tomorrow to acquire the the, the GPU, the computing uh, power for India, and then build out their GPU clouds or data centers or hybrids or whatever have you to make, provide access to that, right? So I, I think they're two separate things in my mind because, uh, you know, who, right now, even uh, NVIDIA's competitors haven't figured out how to build GPUs that well. That well. I mean, they are building GPUs, but there's a huge gap in performance between what NVIDIA is delivering and anyone else is delivering, right? So this is a super complicated space. Maybe down the line, down the, you know, sometime in the future, maybe, of course, I hope, we will have uh, we we will have Indian uh, I mean uh, you know GPUs being manufactured in India at some point in time, uh, but I I I think right now the priority is providing that access for me. It's not about making it here, but it's about getting that access and ensuring that our ecosystem has access to GPUs at a reasonable price. I think you made a very interesting statement because I'm going to, you know, sort of elaborate on this concept and I would love your thoughts here. You know, look at NVIDIA itself. Why go far? NVIDIA is a fabulous company. It does not manufacture, which I think time and again, I keep on correcting people. It does not make its own chips. TSMC makes it. Samsung makes it. NVIDIA does not. India could probably become the fabulous, uh, you know, country. Uh, and there's absolutely no problem in being a fabulous country. So I think this whole race to get into the semiconductor yeah, space see, probably in, as you... In today's world, if you want to catch up by following on footsteps and doing, you know, following that sequential plan, you're never going to catch up because the leader will keep moving ahead. Yes. You know, this is such a fast evolving industry. So in today's world to catch up, you have to do something disruptive and something really big. Uh, that's there. That's really big. Right. So this is where I keep, you know, I keep telling Nandan for me, the entire, whatever happened with DPI, I mean, it's fabulous. The infrastructure, Amazing. Thing, but for me, the, key thing that DPI stands for is the confidence that India can completely disrupt. We can completely disrupt and rather than following the approach of building big companies that would build this end-to-end -end platforms, 
we completely disrupted the process and said, oh, yeah. guess what? We are going to create big ecosystems connected with OBI open and interoperable protocols, right? Absolutely. I mean, how fabulous is that? So it's that whole concept and mindset. And I keep saying we have to bring that mindset to AI now. Absolutely. We have to think about how to disrupt that value chain I talked about. If we try to climb that value chain one step at a time by doing everything that everyone else has done, it's not going to happen. We have to come in and think about how do we really disrupt that value chain? Like everybody is racing to build big, crazy monster LLMs. Can we, and this is where India again lacks, right? We don't invest enough in research. So I'm really hoping the NRF framework initiative will change some of that. But I keep urging government that if you want to make a big investment, invest in figuring out how to disrupt that model and how to completely reimagine how to build LLMs that uh, I don't know if it can even be done, but the, you know, the, the, the engineers have to think through it. But, but, but one is energy efficiency. Two is in current LLMs, it's the companies that own the data, right? In DPIs, it's, it's the ecosystem. The data belongs to the ecosystem. So some of these learnings, again, this is the good thing is these are all engineering problems. So if we, you know, figure out enough and spend enough time trying debating this, I'm sure we have brilliant engineers who can crack it. But I think we need to disrupt the LLM business model. Uh, I think it'll be difficult to disrupt the cloud um, and compute model right now. But at least the, the LLM or the foundation model, business model is something we should at least take a shot at thinking about how can we disrupt it. Yeah, the world is looking at UPI. The world is looking at our backend protocol. I mean, Absolutely. everybody is talking about it. So it's, it's and backend protocol is, uh, I, I was speaking to Sujit John and to uh, the thing, I, uh, even uh, Nandan. It was amazing. I mean, the, the kind of work that they have oh, done in that it, space. It is, it is fabulous. And I believe that they're just getting started. The potential is so huge there. The potential is just so huge. And you can apply it to so many different usage cases. Right. Um, yeah. No, it before. Yeah, yeah. Please. And I'm saying uh, uh, we could, you know, talk about these topics till the cows come home. But <laughs> given the time constraints, uh, I would uh, uh, want to talk about uh, uh, AI and gender diversity. I think that's a very, very uh, critical part of it. Like uh, just getting a woman on the podcast and a person like you itself has brought such a different perspective to the table. And I know because I've heard you earlier also. So, I haven't said a uh, thing related to gender. No, I know, but the, even <laughs> no, I mean, see, the, the, the mere fact that you are heading uh, NASCOM in itself brings us such a different kind of perspective uh, to the table. Of course, you were at Intel India, I, I remember our interactions then also. But it, it's been an interesting space. But how, how do we get more women into leadership positions? How do we get women sh shaping the kind of AI narratives, the digital transformation narratives? Uh, your thoughts on these? How? I think uh, the people at the top right now, when they're hiring, they need to stop looking for people who are exactly replicas of themselves. And that's the <laughs> problem when you look at succession planning, not just in India, but everywhere. You want to hire someone everywhere. who is really it's like a global you. problem. Yeah. Because you believe you are so yeah. good. So only someone really like you will be able to carry the baton forward. Right. Um, um, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, I mean that very seriously. I think there's a fundamental problem in how we look at succession planning, how we look at leadership pipelines. We mirror a lot of ourselves into it. And I'm guilty of doing that. So you will see me hiring a lot of women because you know I sort of look for that. And I, I, think, I think all of us should stop doing that. I think we have to really make it about an equal opportunity pipeline. We have to make it about, we have to make Indian workspaces and all, frankly, India is doing better on gender, at least the tech industry than any other country. Uh, and I'm very proud of it because we are 38% at, uh, at mid-level and 50% plus at entry level, which is fantastic. Um, but I think we have to make it about equal opportunities where um, anyone can, it's not just about gender, but, However you're inclined, you can thrive if you have the capabilities. Uh, you, you, the moment we start putting the filters 
and and the filters are usually unconscious biases that we start applying uh we we start leaving people out because then you know and and I'm sure this happens to all of us, Leslie. If you are looking at your succession plan without really any malicious intent, but chances are you'll be thinking of someone who's very much like you. And the moment you think of someone very much like you, chances are it's going to turn out to be a man. Right. And um, I, I think these are some of the things we really have to think through and we have to break. I think we have a very good pool of women in STEM. And that continues to grow. We have, right. we are really doing good as an industry at hiring where half of our, the talent we hire are women. We are losing them. We have a leaky pipeline. So we are losing them along the way. And, you know, this is what we have to figure out. Why are we losing them along the way? It's usually because family compulsions, right? And that's where flexibility comes into play. Because you can't say don't care about the family because like it or not, women still are the primary caregivers in, in the family. And you can't change something like that, which is part of our culture. You can't. You have to. We have to accept our culture also. You know, and if something happens, if my mom is ill, I will stay home. You know, it doesn't matter if all my brothers are there, but I will be there. If something is serious, I will be there. And, and I'm proud of it. I don't apologize for that, right? That's who I am. And I think this is part of our culture. So this is where we have to give the flexibility first to ensure that we don't lose women in those vulnerable moments when either they're getting married or they're having a kid or they're dealing with the family emergency. If we can keep men in the pipeline, even when they're dealing with family emergencies, why can't we keep women? A simple question, and I haven't got a good enough answer to that from any CEO, right? Um, and, and succession planning has to be drastically, we need a DPI approach to succession planning. We have to completely disrupt succession planning. Um, and uh, Rethink ecosystems. Yeah, because now the current CEOs are men in India. Yeah, no, but but you're right. But India also, uh, you know, has doubled the global average when it comes to having women in the workforce, especially in the tech and in the white collar space. Uh, yeah, but not I, I at the not at the leadership positions. Not at not our at the leadership positions. No. Yes. Like yes, she says, leaky pipeline. Not the pipeline or the pool. Our problem is we yeah. we have to build that equal opportunity culture, which takes into, you know, the, the one thing which a lot of corporates, they, they, they make a mistake is they say, oh, we don't consider gender at all. That's wrong. We are differently built. I am different right. from you, right? And there are certain things that is different about us. You have to factor in those things. You have to factor in those gender driven differences, right? And then you build for equal opportunity. You don't build for it by ignoring the problem or sweeping the problem under the carpet. You build yes. for it by acknowledging, and I won't say problem, but acknowledging the differences and then saying, this is how I build. But I think, I think we are making progress every day. I actually, this is one area I don't worry too much about. I think we are making right. progress. And very soon when people will realize that talent is directly related to profitability and comp competitive advantage, they are gonna stop applying filters to talent. Everybody is gonna want the best talent. Um, so as long as we are skilling right. the women, I'm confident that we will have enough women in the, in the industry. It's not just gender. India has so much other diversity as well, right? In terms of socioeconomic and socioeconomic and and this era that we are just about to get into has the opportunity to include all 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 such uh, you know diverse uh, workforce i mean you know five years ago we did not think that indians could create content i mean i remember speaking to sharad sharma okay uh, back then he was heading nascom npc and he was saying jent can you do a study uh, you know to see why indians are not creators of content we are consumptions of uh, consumers of digital content okay but we don't create but look at now today i mean it, tiktok took 6 months to go from 0 to 120 million active subscribers in india okay and this is outside of the metros and tier 1 cities and look at the number of people creating content on youtube shorts and instagram reels so i yeah, think GPT, like you said there's a lot of <laughs> exactly exactly so i mean 
AI can actually, uh, you know, bring in the India dream, like the American dream, right? I mean, everyone with the right ecosystem of learning and skilling in place, okay, all of a sudden, a lot of Indians from diverse backgrounds. We need to unleash the power of Generation AI. That's India. Simple. I like that. Everybody is skilled on how to use AI in a right way, responsible way, and then right unleash that power on the world. That's going to we be need to, We need to make a <laughs> 1.4-billion storytellers. Absolutely. Uh, but before we end this, end this conversation, I would like to ask you about what's happening with the Indian IT services industry. For instance, a lot of... Uh, I mean... Technically, because of the uh, way the IT, uh, Indian IT industries, uh, services uh, uh, industry worked, uh, given the kind of uh, insistence on the ADM, which I don't think has changed much uh, as far as that is concerned, the consultancy part uh, or moving up the value chain has always been an issue with at least the mid caps. With the large IT companies, we have seen a lot of movement, and I'm, uh, which is why I think that NVIDIA deal with uh, the Tata Group and uh, tying in the TCS part of it made a lot of sense. Uh, what yeah. uh, are you uh, sort of? What more can the Indian IT services industry do to move up the value chain, given the kind of movement we have in AI, generative AI? Tremendous disruption coming our way and good disruption coming our way. Um, I mean, if you think about services, uh, the, the, the building of end-to-end services, etc. I think every company is sitting on so much data. I mean, think of your, your company. How much data are you, are you guys sitting on? And what mechanisms do you have today to really use that data? You know, what if you guys could create your own LLM just for your company, your own LLM that would be able to use the data to give fabulous insights and fabulous uh, whatever, you know, uh, inputs to people, right? Every company is going to want that want to create their own, whether it's called LLM or something, but they will want to create their own models. If hospitals, insurance, banks, it's already happening. Who are going to drive that? Who's going to drive that process? Who's going to create those? Who are, who's going to manage? It's a huge, huge opportunity for our services company. And it's a very natural progression. So, um, and but that said, you know, the traditional technology spending is not slowing down. Gartner has just upped its estimate saying technology yeah. spend from 10.3 is going up to 10.6. So if the traditional spending is not going down, so I think there will be enough room for every for the business model to thrive, both the traditional business model as well as uh, the disruptive business model that we are now beginning to see. And we are seeing all these companies call out their AI investments now. They're pretty serious yes. about it. Yeah, I mean, they're coming right. out in the open with a lot of adding, you know, I, I was talking to even the mid-cap firms actually are doing yeah, a lot of yeah, stuff. I was pretty surprised. In fact, the mid-cap yeah. firms actually, Leslie, are moving much faster, if I can say so. Yeah. Faster. Yeah, yeah, that was very heartening, actually. In fact, I, and they're doing real serious work in the uh, yeah. field, both of AI and uh, generative AI. I thought they were pretty, yeah. doing some pretty innovative work. And they're know. building domain-specific, you know, the, the experts. Yes. Rather than play across, they're picking domains and they're going deep into the domains, which is exactly the right thing to do. They're optimizing their resources and faster decision making. These are the two things I keep observing. Agree. So before we conclude, uh, Devjani, any final thoughts on uh, what you would like to uh, tell our listeners? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. But you know, you know, <laughs> the, the only thing I would say, I like to say is. There is so much of narrative on what AI can do to us and, you know, the, 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 the harms and the perils of AI, atom bomb and all of that. But let's not forget that we are still in control. You know, despite all the advancements that we have seen, the humans are still in control of how we shape the roadmap. And I think this is where we have to stop worrying about what AI can do and start focusing and really investing on what AI should do and how do we want to get the best out of AI, right? Um, and I think uh, we, we really 
need to put a lot of serious thought process and investment. I keep saying investment because that's so important um, into figuring out how we unlock the power of AI to, to, to serve us for our own benefit, for our productivity, for our better health, for our better education. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point because I think even when you have uh, chats with uh, Minister Chandrasekhar, uh, this is exactly what he said. Let, let, let's talk about what AI is doing. The good part of it is not that we're turning a blind eye right. to what, you, you know, the, the limitations. Yeah. Set up the oversights and, you know, talking right. regulation, Leslie will need another podcast because that's the yes, most yes, challenging thing That's why I did not get into it because I know exactly, <laughs> you know, and and I, we really hope to get you back onto a podcast to talk about it. And because yeah. the Digital India Act really uh, is, uh, you know, we are going to see some part of it, but... Um, I, I, yeah, but I, I, as you said, it's better to keep Regulation it out of the conversation. AI, regulating AI is a totally complex animal. It's a totally this one. Really yeah. data, data production, yeah. privacy, data fiduciary. Okay, all of Absolutely. those things are a completely different yeah. animal. But we uh, should, we should have you again. Yeah, but you know, funny thing that happened is US came out with this license approach, licensing approach to regulating right. AI, right? And if you read the tweet, there's so many interesting tweets, uh, responses saying that, okay, if you're going to license in US, I'll just go and build it somewhere else. I mean, AI does yeah, not respect exactly. any national boundaries. And it's time we understood boundaries. that. Right? So, yeah, so yeah we'll save that for another day. <laughs> well, thank you very much for, for your time. Uh, a pleasure having you on board and you could we could see yeah. the passion that you bring to the table and exciting. Thank you Lovely very much. Lovely talking to you both too. Take care. Thoroughly yeah. enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I'll see you care. next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Next week, Bye. Leslie. Take care. Bye. Bye. Take care. Bye.